0: The Edifice Complex podcast is brought to you by DCM, The Drawing Specialists, Blue Rhythm Commissioning Software, and Sensor Suite, The Future of Intelligent Buildings. Welcome to the Edifice Complex, the property design and development podcast. Let your hosts, Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean, keep you up with who is innovating and doing great work perspective on the adjacent possible and challenges to the status quo.
1: Welcome to the Edifice Complex. I'm Robert
2: Bean, your co-host and unofficial mediator here with my colleague, official agitator friend, and uh, Yoda of most anything to do with buildings, Mr. Adam Muggleton. Say hello, sir, Yoda.
3: Hello there. I'm good to see you laughing because I'm also a lunatic and we were just talking <laughs> about that. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> Lunatics are good. <laughs> Lunatics are good. Today's guest is Director of Commissioning and Energy Services for US West at StanTech, a name everybody recognizes. Graduate of uh, Arizona State University with two master's degrees, one in architecture, the other one in the science of the built environment, and continues to teach at ASU on commissioning. Welcome to the show, uh, Marcus Myers. Hi, uh, nice to have you. Go Devils, <laughs> Marcus. You uh, have one foot in architecture and another foot in engineering. That makes you both dangerous, interesting, and useful. <laughs> triple threat. <laughs> triple triple threat. Tell our listeners how you ended up identifying with architecture and engineering. How'd you get to where you are today?
1: My dad was a military guy. And so it was always like hands-on, always be hands-on. And uh, I don't know, I've been working in construction. It starts well before that. in construction, since I've been 14, I, you know, those uh, landscaping jobs you do in the summer and then you start working stuff, you get your first belt, you know, with your tool belts and so like you're proud of it. And I, <laughs> I still have it, actually the first one. Hands on, hands on is very important to actually just get involved, listen to people, find the right mentors, ask a lot of questions, and then just start building. And before you know it, it was, you know, it was just me and my mom because my dad passed when I was in high school, and so I didn't have a dad anymore. So I became the man of the house, and I had to fix stuff, fixing things, right? And so it's just believe it or not, I actually think I still have those books. Oh, this is great, right? One of my first books I ever got, and this is a trip, Home Depot, one, two, three. (laughs) it's funny, I haven't looked at that book in, in probably 20 years, but, and books are important too. You can learn from a lot. So it just became one thing over another is learning stuff, learning this, how to do a footer, how to do this, how to do a deck, how to do a roof, how to do that, how to do electrical. And then it just slowly, slowly shot into that. And it was interesting because there's a lot in between there, but it's just like my first two degrees were like marketing and finance, right? Who would have thought, you know? And then I came back. It was funny because my mom, you know, I'm a sun devil. My mom's a sun devil. My dad's a sun devil. My brother's a sun devil. So, I mean, ASU is, it's in my blood, you know, maroon gold. So this is an epiphany story here, right? So one day I was sitting in the back in my mom's house in upstate New York and I built the deck. And then basically, you know, we were talking about, Oh, what am I going to do with my life? You know what I mean? After I you know, graduated <laughs> for the first time yeah. from, ASU, yeah, from ASU, you know, and then she's like, you know, you always been happy. She goes, Oh, she, she called it. You whistle while you work. Right. And so she goes, you love to build things. So I literally, it was truthfully. So I went upstairs, I got on, you know, back then it was like, what? You got mail. On. I mean, I can't remember what it was, like dial up, right? You know, and uh, I went online and I, and I looked ASU and I looked at engineering and I came back to school, believe it or not, you know, for a structural engineering. And then when I got here, I ended up taking a lot of mechanical engineering courses and I went three years with mechanical. And then one day I met an architect, <laughs> It's really funny, you know. Uh, Scott Hayward uh, he used to be the curator at the University uh, at the Tempe Historical Museum. Awesome guy. I haven't talked to him since then, but if he sees this, love you, Scott, for helping me out. And he basically talked about a lot of different areas and how you can take structural, you can take architecture and engineering, and you know you can just do a lot with it. So I went down and uh, I basically applied for both schools. I think I was the second one at ASU to apply for both architecture and engineering. And then I went through it and literally for the next like three years, I don't know where I parked my car because I couldn't sleep. And let me tell you, it's hard to do high math when, when you're tired. <laughs> but interesting enough, you know, fast forward with all that. And when I got done in 2008 with some degrees, we hit the recession. We were in a recession. Okay. remember, Remember the great oh, recession? Yeah. <laughs> and there were no jobs. I don't think a lot of people understand there were no jobs. I literally applied to like probably a hundred different firms and said, I will work for free. I need experience, right? I mean, experience in the architectural world, the engineering world, you know, outside of construction, because when I got to Arizona, you know, when I came back to school, I mean, I've been in construction, like I said, so it's just like, you know, I started a small little construction firm. I wasn't licensed, so I couldn't call construction. So handyman, right? So, you know, believe it or not, my clients were the professors at ASU. I marketed myself to the professors And I started fixing all their houses. I must have fixed 40 different professors and I was making money while I was going to school. And it just, you know, I'm talking like solar systems, hot water systems, didn't matter systems. You know what I mean? And there's a point to this because everyone asked me how I got into this. Well, when you're a little older and you come back to school at like, you know, 26 and you're trying to get out of school and you're like 30, right? And you're like, oh no. And then you realize that there are no jobs. What am I doing? I just went, so that's when I said- (laughs) Energy. I had this the moment right there, and I said, I will never not be employable again. At that moment, I said, energy. Okay, energy, right? So I was that architectural guy, engineer guy that focused on building envelope. I focused on control systems. Like I didn't really know what it was then, but I was an energy modeler. I mean, I focused on modeling, you know, with the BIPSA International Building Performance Simulation Association, right? And learn and modeling. So basically modeling you know, to me is basically everything. It's the virtual world of commissioning. You can't touch it, right? But you can virtually be part of everything, part loads, chillers, and you can get into it and you can get, I mean, and then we had basically, we had uh, Marlon Addison, the creator of eQuest, basically was, has been my mentor since then. Dr. Harvey Bryant, one of the most notable, you know, sustainable fellows in Ashray and FAIA. Dr. Edmundo Soltero, the university architect. I mean, Dr. Agami Reddy. Dr. Slotsky. I mean, we're talking about ASU. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And, and, the, and these gentlemen took me under their wing and they showed me everything. So it's just like, so when recession, we make old better. When basically, when it's going upward, we make new great. So I was never going to not have a job. That was the most important thing. When people don't understand when you're young yeah. and you're like, I need to make money. I need to get a job. You, it's It's usually out of pure desperation that like (laughs) something happens. Totally. It's survival mode, man. You're at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy. (laughs) You gotta eat. (laughs) I did. Yeah, exactly. It was survival of the fittest, you know, and I went back a little older. So remember, like when you go back after you've graduated, you don't get these good loans. You don't get the Pell Grants. I mean, you get jacked up with six or 7%, you know, for basically student loans. And people don't realize, I mean, when you go back the second time, you really try and you get good grades and you're that person going you know what I mean? And because you're so that was it. That, I mean, that really what happened. And before you know it, you know, working for ASU, I was a research assistant for a bunch of different folks. I mean, for Brian, you know, and basically also for Dr. Avi Baisel. I mean, a few other people, there was a lot of folks that basically really helped me out. And they gave me the RA positions, TA positions. And then basically as a researcher, I just loved it. And they were paying me. I mean, think about it. When you get paid to do what you love, it's not work. I mean, so it just sort of transcended into that and and that's how it all happened. And believe it or not, this is going to sound crazy, but one of my first real opportunities was over at another company, right? And they, they, they gave me an opportunity to go in there and I basically became this person that dealt with ASU. And so I jumped in and basically started doing it. When I first was like, wait, commissioning, I was like, I'm being paid to make sure someone else did their job. <laughs> it was a trip. Mike, we're done. <laughs> it, exactly. It was, it was so confusing to me. And then I started realizing just, you know, how complex the entire process is. Because, I mean, there are, I mean, all the addendums, all the RFIs, all the ASIs, I mean, all the different trades, the, the 400,000 pieces, like the 1,000 people, the, all the different parts. And, and then basically, you know, the best thing that we ever did was BIM. And the worst thing we ever did was BIM. Because now, you, <laughs> yeah. know, bam, tr- bam. Because remember, before we did the drawings, you know, I mean, I wasn't back in the day with Vellum, but we remember layering, you know, basically, you know, so we can actually see what's going on with what, what systems going here and here and here. And then BIM was like, boom, they're like, I want a door there. I want this. I want the B move there. And then just like addendum, addendum. addendum. And it didn't realize that everything has to move to move for everything else. Then everything has to be coordinated and all the trades have to get coordinated. There's so many moving parts. And so then it was just like, quality assurance, basically QAQC. you know, that word commissioning really means a process of improvement. And I struggle with this every day, even to now, when we talk about what is commissioning, what do we do? It's, 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 it's such a, it's like a Superman world, you know what I mean? And, And a Superman word, sorry. And, or, or woman, you know what I mean? It's just, it's one of those things where you don't know exactly what it is and you keep on learning what it does. And then before you know it, you have to keep learning and reading books. And you, then you have to understand the synergy between basically MEP and controls and envelope, roof, walls, windows, all the different pieces. Because that's I love those worlds. And every day, I don't stop. I keep on taking classes on controls. I keep on taking classes on thermography. I mean, for instance, I mean, like, think about it. Like a kid with Legos, like Flora, yeah, 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 oh, yeah. looking for a camera. We just bought one of these, basically. You know, a new one, we've had a few of them, but this is like a brand, you know, E 95 It's not the brand, brand new one, but it's awesome. I mean, that's like my Legos. Are you kidding me? I love this stuff. So (laughs) whenever I lecture, whenever I go to presentations, I mean, people are like, I'm like, you on coffee? You drinking coffee? I'm like, no, man, this is just fun. (laughs) So, There's a few things to unpack there for our
3: listeners. So one, that camera looks like my dad's 1970s Super City 8, Super 8 camera. Yeah. So nostalgia, Chris bump. But there's a few things to unpack there. Like, one, you can spend, have a sunk cost of like several years and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And your first life lesson is no one owes you anything, including a job. So nope. you need to understand that, right? Pick your degree wisely. Thing number two is it's on you to hustle and get that job, right?
2: Absolutely. Yep.
3: And you've got to make yourself useful. You've got to add value. No one owes you a job. You've got to get out there and add some value, right, and find your niche. There's nothing wrong with bouncing around. Just be valuable while you do it, right? So, you know, that, that's interesting because that origin story is unique and typical at the same time, right? It's typical in that you've got to hustle. You've got to, you've got to grind your way through the work. You can't, you can't half-ass an engineering degree, right? Let's be
1: honest. You've got to wake up at some point and do the work. And then but you also got to figure out what stable. you're doing, yeah. why you're doing it. That, that's the one thing that a yeah. lot of yep. people don't do. They say, here's your toolbox. What do I do it with? I mean, a lot of these engineers, I mean, listen, they come out of school and they don't even know what a chiller is. I mean, that's what I'm always trying to basically, yeah. I mean, I wish there was laboratories. I wish there was practicums, practical. All I emphasize is, you know, and ASU is really a good school for practicality. It's a very, it's a good practicality school, right? And yeah. It's just that, but I think there would be more hands-on, I want more laboratories, more it, more play with more break it. You know what I mean? Wow, what could we do, you know? You know, I want to put up in and come back to that later with your
3: work with the teaching commission because one of my big issues with engineering degrees is I used to be an employer. You know, you, you interview a graduate and they're great at math and they can do calculus. That's great. But they are completely useless to me. They don't know what palm, or fan is. They can't size anything. It is a complete waste. I have to spend two years, like, fixing them before they're useful.
1: And there's a lack of applied teaching at universities, in my opinion. Well, and the next part, let's think about it. So not only basically how to do the right engineering, basically, yeah. you, know, you know, start with the end in mind. Basically, you don't know what a good design is because you don't know want a bad design, is, and that's one. And then yep. two is basically sales. You know, how do you brand yourself? How do you brand your company? How do you sell it? I've always, I mean, from the moment that someone starts, you know, working with me, is I basically show them where the money is, how it works, because then they take ownership. They have accountability. And then they don't just build to a job. I mean, I I want people who take it personal. When you work for a friend, they're not my client, it's a friend. You know what I mean? It's like a trusted friend, it's my family. I mean, I treat every building that I work on, not just for ASU, any building I work on, I I treat it like basically it's my house. And you know what I mean? And working for Stantec, I I mean, I act like I own the company because I own companies. So it's accountability. We all have to walk, because people don't hire your company, they hire you that work for a company. And when you (laughs) embrace the pillars of what that company is about. You don't work for a company, you work with people and you have that that company with you. And I love Stantec, truthfully, because the people are amazing. I mean, I mean, Tim Howe I work with, Jerry Pickett, you know, Kishore Warrior, Greg Swarm, the list goes on. Just amazing human beings that make my day better. And I mean, I could I could literally list like off probably 80 people or a thousand people because I talk to so many. I talk a lot, right? <laughs> But, but yeah, it's just great, you know. And thank thank you both, by the way. This is awesome, Adam. You know, I've known you for years now through LinkedIn, you know, and just met this wonderful gentleman below today. But we have some good stories already, so thank you all very much for doing this. All yeah, right. no, it's great to have cool. you on. <laughs> what
2: are we we're like we're a few minutes in, and there's already a bunch of high points here. know, <laughs> one of the, one of the things that is you know obviously leaping through the communication here is your ability to express the passion that you have what you're doing you said something that was really good we're going to talk about this again in our wind up and that is whistle while you work i love that that's my mom that's that is such that is so wise and it's it's an unconscious thing right i mean you just catch yourself whistling while you work you know or singing or whatever it is clearly your body is responding to positive whatever's going on in your world at that moment it's positive
3: brain to body
2: right brain to body link and um that is huge. And, and when Adam and I do our sort of our windup at the end of the show, Adam, we're going to talk about that because yeah, that is sure. really powerful. But one of the other things that's coming out of, out of this interview is, you know, you can have all the knowledge in the world that you like, and there, there's a lot of people that have a lot of brain power, but if you can't communicate in a way that invokes action, that knowledge is, well, you're basically a walking library, but that's about it. People can't get in and they can't come out with anything, right? Because you're not, you don't have the ability to communicate. So communication is
1: huge and you do
2: a great job of it.
1: And confidence though, this is another thing to try to instill Mm. in my students. And it's what, you know, a lot of my good mentors have is to help you understand your value because once you understand your value and one of my very good friends who just passed this recent year, Greg Koontz, I love that man. He was a mentor for me. He was a vice president over at Siemens for a while. He was one of the best people in the world when it came to Excel. That guy was an Excel like guru, right? And I'll never forget, I went to engineer, you know, 30 years. The guy was amazing. One time we were, we were starting a project and he basically just started doing like just, you know, a bin of basically numbers and we're just going down from like 45 all the way to 90. Look, like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm just creating my, uh, you know, my bin for my temperatures. And I'm like, well, what's a rule of thumb? He goes, he goes, after 30 years of doing this, he goes, my rules of thumb, he goes, are pretty much factual. He goes, so it's the value that I bring as an engineer of 30 years that understands this, he goes, so there's not really like a go-to, you know, like do this. It's like, you have to basically understand it through experiences of what temperatures, what gradients, why you're going to do it, how you're going to get to it. And it starts to make you think, one day you hopefully will be an expert and one day people will listen to you. And But at the same time, when I teach the students, I always basically say, don't just, I never just give them my way. I basically say, you know, especially with Google and, you know, and all the stuff that you can do, we never had it. I had a library, right? But now you have the world and the universe in front of you. And I would say, go out and find the right template, you know, like pick one, which one, pick one, which one looks good to you? Like, and then, so I do this on purpose because I want, I want the students to basically look what they think is right and why. And so write a paper on why they thought. And then basically, then we come into class, we compare these, right? I don't like when people tell you, use this, you know? unless it's best practices and standards because yeah. it's an industry, but they have to understand what is good and what is bad. You know, the old, remember the old comment, you don't know how good Jasmine smells until you basically know how bad you know, <laughs> it smells. So, <laughs> yeah, that's a, you know, it's not a good point.
2: When I think, when I go back and I think about all the teaching I did, and one of the biggest challenges that we had was with uh, adult learners was um, when they had no experience, right? That they were very apprehensive to just to take a guess, to try stuff. And so I think it was probably two, three years into teaching that I realized, okay, the the problem isn't that they don't know. They're not afraid to do the sequence. They just don't know where to start. And so I would put on a great big piece of paper or on on screen or whatever the word try. yeah, Try, T-R-Y. And I said, there is no right and no wrong except the only wrong thing they can do is if you don't try. <laughs> so try something, just get going. And then that, will, that first step will then nav, help you navigate the rest of the way through the calculation. And well, just do
1: also, it, just experiment. Also, too, is like in college, one of the points I emphasize is like I'm in the classes and I'm teaching and I go, hey, this is the place to fail. You can fail in this class. And then I, I don't mean get an F, I mean basically yeah. fail because I want you to try and fail, try and fail, try and right, fail. Right, exactly. The real workforce, you know, they hire you based on your resume that says, I can do this. Yeah. And so, you know, it's just like when here, when I mentor people here, I go, hey, listen, you know what, call me anytime you want after five o'clock, but I can't pay you to do homework. You know what I mean? Because basically <laughs> they expect you to know how to do it, right? But when you, you're in college, get A's, whatever like that, you know, but learn, try and fail, try and fail, try. That's the place to do it in the classroom is when you're not in industry because there we can help it. But that's what happened. We need to basically, we need to basically say to someone, it is okay to fail. It is okay to be wrong. It is okay to learn. Remember, you know, like the Mm -hmm. little thing that says aim small, miss small, you know, and one more thing, I'll just jump to it. And people always ask me, they go, well, what is your definition of failure or success? I go, okay, so I succeeded today. So that means that I failed that much less today than I did yesterday, but today I win. I go, I never stop trying to be successful. It's just basically okay. on any given Sunday, it's you're always trying to be it, but for some reason today I'm a winner, but basically I just won by that much. Always take yeah. the chance and the risk to fail, but understand, you know, when you get in industry and you know your decisions are very important, you know, you have to always weigh everything you do very consciously. So, but you have to learn how to be confident. You have to learn how, and that's what mentors are for. And I think mentorships have gone not where they need to go in the last, you know, 50 years. And, 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 and literally, like, it's like being a dad or a mom. I'm not one, yeah. you know what I mean? But it's just at the same time, it's my students I am, is I want them to be more successful than I ever was. I don't want to ever keep them down. I don't want them yeah. to write papers for me. I want them to be the best they can be. And, you know, Richard Branson, basically, I think it was him that always says, train them so well, they can lead and treat them so well, they'll stay. Yeah. yeah. So I,
2: We've said this before on the show. There was a professor by Mark Bomberg, who's a really interesting guy. And he would say, you know, you can't sit down at the computer unless you already know the answers. And I always took that to heart. And I remember, and again, for those that listen to the show on a regular basis, sometimes we're going to repeat our stories here, but you know, we would hire engineers or graduates of the engineering programs, and all of their colleagues or student fellow students would end up with jobs and right away they'd end up on the software. You know, like the other companies would be teaching them how to use the software, but not us you know they weren't allowed to touch the computers until they did hand calculations i think it was 6 to 9 months sometimes longer for some of them and the reason is is because we wanted them to get a feel for the numbers yes right and to develop that that self intuition those internal checks and balances where you say okay you know we started on this path we started to try these numbers and we're starting to approach the boundaries conditions and you know are we actually on the right path and then and getting them to develop that internal sense of direction and what can you be confident in in your numbers that you're willing to stand on them and then yeah. finally stamp those drawings and and um, our people always ended up much better engineers than anybody else.
3: It's also not understanding what them constants are in certain calculations, right? It's not four point two or whatever. It's something, right? What is it?
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, well, and then one of the, that's one of the other things is too is that they had they. When people are new to the world of engineering and they actually, any profession where there's, where there's numbers that are involved or science is involved is they don't have a sense of what is, what is precision and what is accuracy and when do you need one or both? You can have somebody, If us just take for example, marksmanship, right? You can have a perfect pattern of six shots on a target, but they're off the target. So you're precisely wrong. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or you can yeah. have six shots that circle the center but maybe they're not all on the center, but they're accurate, right? And so when we get into numbers, for example, they don't know what it, like how many decimal places you need to carry in the, into a calculation, right? And we would just say, listen, you only need to be as accurate as the instrumentation that you use in the field. So if you're using an analog device like a pressure gauge, well, pressure gauge isn't going to tell you the difference between 14.5 and 14.2319. So forget it. Like You don't need to be that precise. But developing that sense of precision and accuracy and when you need to be both and when actually one can be misleading is really important. Right.
3: Applied engineering
1: versus pure engineering almost, right? That's right. Pure calculations. One, 100% too. It's yeah. obviously, you know, obviously thermodynamics or psychometric charts or controls. You got to help show someone the relationships between things, yeah. right? Because it's, it's always, you know, God is in the details. It's always right here. But the most important thing that I always try to do is I always, I'm an analogy kind of guy. It's just like I always basically because they're like you're saying something like it's like deer in the headlights and you're like I get it you're not connecting it so you always have to try to find <laughs> something like look in your house you know look in your apartment you know the first thing with architects I'm like like I go what do I draw I'm like look to your left where are you sitting I'm sitting right here look at your ducks. are you feeling cold are you feeling hot connected to something personal and then they start to go that's what that is I'm like a load count like a heat gain heat's coming in heat's going yeah. through you're yes what and then the bells go off and then it's just like that's what it is and isn't it kind of funny then someone's like because they already know everything you've been saying but you've got to find that connection point with each student and nobody learns the same nobody and that's why this whole standardized thing is wrong it's just basically every you know either you know reading watching viewing taking them out to the site you know some some people are just you know they look at it and they photographic memory other people they have to see it you have to touch it but I think we need to take the time to find out what it is that really connects what you're trying to do with that person, and then that person, you know, they pay it forward. You know what I mean? Like, and and they go, they took the time for me. I'm going to take the time for you, and that's what I think sometimes lacking a little bit in engineering and architecture is you still have those amazing mentors, but some people are like, come on, it's quicker, and you're like, what? And then and then so they do it quick, and then 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 of course then someone's got to go back and redline it and check it, and it's just like efficiency, you know, and you know, effectiveness. I mean, it really starts with basically understanding that person and working with them. And once you do that, you create mm. someone just like you, and then they became caring and empathetic and they be, and then they take the time. And then they realize that deep breath, don't rush through okay. it. And that's how we create leaders. And so there's yeah. a couple of so, things I want to unpack
3: that you said earlier, right? On, and just now. So one is for any junior engineers or undergraduates listening, going to site and seeing and visualizing and touching what we're talking about and what you're studying is really important. Yeah. If you keep it in the abstract, you're never going to understand it, right? So make someone take you to site and explain things to you. That, that's the difference. But the other thing I really want to emphasize as well, you know, there's, if you've done a four-year engineering degree, you come out, oh, I'm a degree and my mom loves me and she's so proud you know, then you think you're not a salesman or person, right? You are. Right. It comes down to even being able to sell your concept. If you're yep. designed in a DOAS system yep. and no one wants it, you got to sell that sucker to the team, right? So yep. anyone listen to this, trust yep. me, you're a salesperson all your career, yep. so your ideas, yourself, your brand, your knowledge, hopefully your work, your business, right? But just down to… That micro level, selling your idea, your design, your concept, you've got to be able to do that or you're not going to get anywhere, right? So you, you touched on a really important thing there. Two things, I think, are takeaways. You know, applied engineering is as important as the fundamentals. And you all are and all will be
1: salespeople, no matter what profession you do. Yeah, and also KISS. Remember, keep it simple, yeah. stupid? Keep it simple. Okay, I mean, like, literally, like, you know, do not. Make a sequence over complicated. I mean, you got <laughs> okay, yeah. We can, that's not well, that's another thing. <clears throat> we'll talk about that more later, but it's just yeah. like it calls for this, it says this, we need this. Okay, just start simple, high yeah. level. You can die. Engineering is only as complicated as you make it, yeah. You know I mean?
2: Totally. This I was, is- I just got interviewed by Joe Hughes and uh, Cliff Zolnick, uh, on the IQ radio. And if you haven't listened to it, as you should. It's a great show. And Adam and I got a thing going on here. soon. I'm really looking forward to that show, by the way. Anyways, they had asked me about HVAC systems and technology and complications. And I said, see this gray hair said yeah. I'm actually only 22. <laughs> it's the technology that's created that's created it. All of us, you know, anybody that's been around the industry a long time, we've been up the technology ladder and down again. And I and I've not come across one individual that has embraced high technology as a solution. Everybody I know that has any experience says nope.
1: We still look to the psychrometric chart that Mr. Carrier created how many hundred you know, almost a hundred yeah. years ago. Yeah. You know, and we still apply. Everything thermodynamics is still hot to cold, high yeah. pressure to low pressure. Yeah. Water runs downhill. Okay. So yeah. you know what? Einstein is still correct. You know what I mean? The laws yeah. of thermodynamics and energy are still solid. So yeah. <laughs> it's not
3: it's not complicated, right? People overcomplicate everything. They do. Uh, yeah. I want to just have a quick talk about, you know, your your director of commissioning at Stantec. So Stantec is a pretty gargantuan firm. And I know commissioning is a sort of like subset of the services that they do there. But, you know, what's going on? What's the state
1: of play with commission at Stantec? Because, you yeah, know, Stantec's an important firm. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's an amazing firm. You know, I mean, I, I I believe we're, I think the number one AE firm in the country this year, you know, based on the other ones. Right. And then commissioning has been here at Stantec for about 28, 30 years. We have a lot of different, like, offices throughout Canada and the United States, and we're growing it. And, And they brought me on basically to enhance and grow it. And in all reality, all I'm really doing is internally marketing. I mean, all I'm doing is basically getting all the engineers and architects and folks in the country to basically just come together and basically say, oh, you know, we already do this anyways, we work together. So it's just like, you know, externally selling, you know, we already have every client in the universe, right? All I have to do is basically just It's true. I mean, it's just amazing. They do so much. I mean, so many sectors. Oh my God. It's just so much fun here. I get a, I get a jump between infrastructure, ports, Marines, government work. I mean, mining, power and dams. I mean, every single day, I mean, literally today, I've already had four calls with different sector groups and we're bringing this together. And we're talking about integration, collaboration, cross-selling, cross-marketing. And I mean, all I'm doing is basically just, you know, Bringing more and more, and we're—I mean, so that's it. We're—I mean, we're coming hard, okay? Commissioning world, you know what I mean? So it's just like you know, we're growing fast, and we're going to do it good because we got a lot of good people that care. And all you do is basically just bring it together and say, what services can we have? We also offer the client and our trusted friends, you know, to basically bring out. And then we're really just trying to bring all that together. And and once again, it's just like a lot of other companies, you know what I mean? That the amazing structure, amazing folks, big firms. And remember one thing. Okay. Always remember one thing. I'm in the firm called Stantech, but as commissioning, we are a disinterested third party. I am not on the construction team. I am not on the design. We don't have construction. I'm not on the design team. I am not on the architectural team. I am a disinterested third party. Okay. And we can and other firms do commission our, the work that that team works on. So there is no, you know, fox watching the hen house. That has been basically passed by lead, passed by everybody basically it's agreed on, right? And now with, with Lee, with the addendum that came out in February, 2021, that basically says, you can be in the same firm and you can do all these things because everybody thinks, oh, you can't do that. That is not true. And I am one of the most ethical and moral people. And that's why I sit on the BCA and basically nine other TCs for all these other things. I will always do the right way. And there will always be no conflict of interest. And the whoever hired by the owner, owner always owner advocate we always will do the right thing and everybody on my team will do that and we do do that so yeah people
2: need to understand just how important that statement was because yeah. if you break that contract because that's a yes. that's a moral and an ethical contract that you're contract, making yeah. it is a social contract yeah. and so if you break that even once you're yep. tainted for life i'm glad to hear you say that because
1: well, and another thing, yeah, just yeah. To let you know, I mean one of the areas that I've been pushing for years is for this, and basically you know it's 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 now changed. And maybe I bark a little loud, but I, I I believe what I bark, right? The next one is it, hopefully in the next, I'm not gonna say in my lifetime, hopefully in the next few years, you know, just like you got basically a, you know you got a board, you know of, of registration that basically monitors architecture, that basically monitors engineering, where basically my goal and hopes are that we can all work together. So there is actually accountability for commissioning because right now it's just, Oh, we have a national certification through ANSI, AHRI, BCA, ASHRAE, you know, uh, you know, there's a few of them, right. That, you know, that make you do continuous education. That's why they're basically, you know, approved for the DOE and everything else, but like there needs to be accountability because owners like, well, what do I do if this didn't work out? Where do I go? They don't, Oh, just don't hire them again. No. And that's the thing that separates people who are certified and basically people who aren't, or maybe so. And then basically, you know, not to say that smaller firms or bigger firms doesn't matter. It's basically the work that you do should be a best practice at all times. And every one of us should be hitting the highest marks possible to make sure that we are delivering mm-hmm. the highest quality assurance, meeting the OPR, guideline zero. And by the way, every one of my students who can acclaim to this, I make them memorize guideline zero definition of commissioning. That is part of their class work. Every day, who wants to stand up. Just the other day, I did seven people. They stood up and when they, the students grade them, I go, "Did they hit it? Cause they're all watching going, you put installed before this, do it again. I make them, I'm literally, I'm ask them. I made them do one person the other day, eight times over. They're like, I'm like, will you forget it? No, that's the thing about it is, And I gave a quiz on psychrometrics the other night. And one of my last questions was, what does psychrometrics mean? And like, I go, you just took a quiz. You just studied for an entire week, but you didn't know what it means. You know what I mean? So that's the kind of thing about it is it's like we have to ingrain yeah. what we do and why we do it and how we do it. And basically, and then they have to teach others the exact same thing, but got to have standards, got to have best practices. And, be well, and you brought it, you
2: know, again, the difference between, you didn't use the word, but qualified versus certified. Yeah. Easy to get certifications. Not so easy to be qualified, right? And you can have people who are qualified and uncertified and you can have yes. people who are certified that are unqualified, right?
1: Yes. And, and a lot well, of people say, oh, I don't, I don't have the acronyms. I didn't take the certification. I'm like, that's great. You, you shouldn't, you know, according to the DOE, you have to have, you, hey, you know what? You don't have to go to college, but basically if they require you to basically have a stamp, then you have to, you can't go, I can design stuff all day long. Not according to the law. You have to abide by the rules and jump through the hoops. I'm sorry. There are hoops out there you have to jump through and you have to do it. Sorry everybody. But yeah, there's
2: continue. nobody on the other end of the line that's going to go, "Oh, you'll be fine." Yeah. You know, we're going to coddle you and make you feel good about your yeah. you know, your attitude. The the attitude you need is is one like suck it up. You have to go through the, you have to get your hands dirty. You got to put your mind through some shit that you may not like, but when you get out the other side, you'll be able to look back and go, okay, did it. And do it again.
1: No matter what people want to say, we still live in basically a competitive world. You know what I mean? It's just like, I don't want to use those words like capitalism or socialism, but listen, everything is basically you're competing. You're always trying to do. And remember, you don't want to, claw over someone but at the same time you know not everybody gets a trophy for you know playing good it's just like you you get a you get ahead because you are better you work harder you push through strife through basically trials and tribulation i always call it baptized by fire how many times have yep. we went into a, a building and we don't know what the hell that thing is but you stayed up the entire night to basically read up on it you read all the specs you read this you're like you walk in the next day go I get it. You know what I mean? And it's just like, but they're, they're paying you and they're paying you good money. Yeah. Right. So you better bring that value and you better go do your homework. And if not, you better call somebody, yeah. you know, I've got to get it done. There is no, like, I have a deadline. I was tired.
0: <laughs> get it done. The edifice complex will continue in just a moment. Can you find the drawing and supporting documents you need in less than a minute? Now you can with Echo. It's simple. Just type what you're looking for and press enter. Echo knows your building. Speak with a drawing specialist today. Ask about our special offer of painless onboarding plus 6 months free with Echo. Visit podcast.thedsoffer.com. That's podcast.thedsoffer.com. And now, back to the show.
2: There's two stories there, you know, when and that is that It behooves us as professionals that when someone is on the other side, about to take that first step to come through to our side, there are people that will be anxious. There will be people that, uh, you know, that might have some fear and that kind of stuff and that we need to be careful in guiding them through with some, with respect and empathy. But rest assured for those that are listening, we will guide those who take that step with anxiousness and maybe fear and whatever, but for the love of God, be prepared. Don't get to the other side and have a breakdown because someone gives you shit because they're calling you on the map because you weren't prepared. And Mm -hmm. that's happened to us before in meetings where, you know, some young engineer graduate student came into our meetings, left in tears. And the reason for it was, is that they came into the room unprepared Yep. And what pissed us off is that, and this is for those that, that maybe aren't familiar, we're at an ashray meeting. You might have 30 people around a table or 40 people around a table. All of those people there have left their jobs to volunteer work. The value, the hourly value at that table is in the tens of thousands. Yep. You need to respect the value at that table. And when you come into a meeting and then you're unprepared and you're trying to get something to that committee and you're not prepared, expect a tongue lashing yeah
1: sorry doesn't cut it like basically sorry like, does you know, not you know, cut hello. it if yeah. you're on time you're late hello yeah you know what i mean like all the coaches we ever had if you're on time you're late think about that you know it's just like you should be early and if you are going to be late you call before you're late yep. and say yeah. I, you know what i mean so it's just like there's just accountability that i don't know i'm i'm trying to help out but sometimes i feel like i I'm, i feel like i'm so harsh these days in this politically correct world <laughs> and I I'm trying to do my best but it's just like how do you emphasize that sorry no yeah. second chance if you join sure. the Navy SEALs <laughs> but you, we can't be calling
3: people if you join the Navy SEALs it's not personal it's a can you run for two miles with a boat on your head yes or no right yeah it's not yeah. I like you I don't like you you no. got nice haircuts can you
1: do it yes or no if no it's not for you <laughs> Well, and another thing too is, I mean, here's the thing. It's like, so like, let's say with me, like, you know, with, you know, with Stantec, I'm literally knocking on everybody's door saying, Hey, can we do this? Can we do that? Can we collaborate? You know? And then, so they're like, Oh, well, yeah, 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 yeah. And all of a sudden they go, Hey, here's an opportunity. And so it's like Thursday and it's like due Friday. So I'm over here begging right over the last, you know, the last couple of years. And then basically they give it. And I'm like, I'll get it done tonight. I'll stay up all night and I'll get it done. And then basically then it starts. Because I'm not going to basically say, "Hey, give me a chance, give me a chance," you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden they give it to me. I'm going to do it, and then the chances keep on increasing. And I'm hopefully, maybe I'll have like three days to do it, four days. But you know, you know how it is in this world where you know with RFPs and RFQs and jobs that come yeah, out, well, it's, it's just I like, and most experience. people don't really think about yeah. how can I be part of this until because they listen to you give presentation this, and until they go, "I have a project that I'm working on that right now," and they're like, "But you're like, wait, I just presented to you four times before this." They go, "But I need it right <laughs> now." So I'm always trying to figure out how we actually can reach people. Remember, this is just industry. You're always basically trying to connect. You're trying to connect with people. So when they hear something, it's a trigger word. And it's automatically, that's the person I want to go to. Or do you know the person that needs to go to? I mean, that's what we need to be doing. We need to be basically pushing it to the right people to help out. You know, all of us collaborate, advocate. Don't compete. Don't be that person. There's so much work out there. Just advocate and collaborate and be happy for other people when they win work. You know? couldn't agree more with that. Now, I want to talk about
3: two things. I want to hit on your work teaching commissioning at Arizona State University. Then I want to talk about your article in Consultant Specifying Engineering this month. So, let's start with Arizona State University. you got the hat. I presume you've got the <laughs> <laughs> There are vanishingly few commissioning courses,
1: particularly at university level. So how did you pull that off? Tooth be known, it's funny. I actually wrote a when I was a grad student years ago, I actually thought about this and I basically wrote, I said, if we had a high performance building certificate, what would it have? And I always believe that it should have two commissioning courses, right? Two energy management or basically like energy modeling classes, basically. And then I always like two controls classes. So it was always like two commissioning, energy modeling, you know, or it could be energy management, but energy modeling is very important. And then basically control. So then it's like combine those. So I always thought that in order to have a certificate or, you know, something that people want to do is, you know, you have this, you have this, this, this. So about, you know, three, four years ago, you know, I was trying again. And then basically there, a new, uh, a new chair of the school of construction, Dr. Tony LaMana, he's just an awesome human being. I love this guy. And uh, he he's like, this is a great idea. And I go, well, you know, I, I presented to another school and another school at ASU. And they're like, uh, you know, it's, you know, and then, and then but Tony is just so forward thinking. And, uh, and he's just good with people. He's a construction guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. He's from Louisiana. You know what I mean? He likes beer. He likes to talk. And he's just cool. And maybe doesn't fit in academics, but he's awesome. Right. And so he saw this idea and we took it, we ran with it. We started the class. We did another one. We got a line item and it took two years to get a permanent number. We went to another one. Now I, I can't stop the students from taking it. Everybody just, and then now they want to teach more and more and more. And I'm just like, you know, when they come in the class, it's like, all right, sit down, listen. We're going to teach you. It's old school, you know. And construction <laughs> engineers, construction managers, architects, engineers, you know. And I'm trying to get now in the future. It takes takes a little while with academics, you know. What I mean, you got to go through the proper channels and you got to prove that. It's an elective for a core. It's an elective for this. I mean, it just takes time. I get it, right? It's been an amazing process, but I mean, you know, uh, Dr. Christian Paris, you know, Dr. Pat Fallon, Tony Manna, you know what I mean? It's just like good people, you know, that really want the benefit and then they work with you and then they start doing, let's do it more, you know, and then that's why ASU is amazing. And Dr. Pro is awesome. And that's why we're the best so, you know, and you teach <laughs> two classes, right? You teach two, about- I teach two classes a semester, introduction and advanced. And it's going to be more, actually. Well, you know, I can't teach all the classes. I'm trying to get more people to come in and yeah. do different. Like, we're we're actually, we're trying. We're trying to create this high-performing building certificate. That's next. It just takes time. But, and remember, intro, I'm sure these kids are going to tell you if you ever ask me, it's not intro. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, and advanced. I mean, in advance, I like to jump in more of the envelope stuff, more of the controls. You know, I like to jump more into MEP systems, you know, just basically talking about outside air, supply air, you know, return air, mixing air. I like to go into like, you know, more of like the practicality kind of stuff, the practicum of it, but it takes a little while to understand it. Yeah. Again, very applied, right? you got to have the basic fundamental knowledge there to understand that. Well, and now, you know, that COVID's is loosening up and basically, you know, we can get back out to sites. That's an important part, but it was hard for that year without it, you know, and teaching on, you know, it's just, we're all getting better at it, but you got to show, like I said, analogy, you got to, you got to show them, you got to find what rights for them, but it's, like I said, you got to bring passion and every day for those two and a half hours that I, I have them there. I mean, I, I bring it, you know what I mean? And it's just like, but it's like a Tony Robbins thing. It's like, <laughs> oh, it's, no, man. I, I bring it and it's just like, and I'm like, hey, I got you for two and a half hours. I'm like, you pay me respect. I'll give you respect. Let's work. You know what I mean? And uh, yep. it probably drive them crazy, but it's, they learn. That's all that matters is they learn. And when they leave here, they learn and they don't forget. And I make them keep their binders and their notes. You know, like when we always have, like, it's over here. But it's just like you always keep your CEM notes, you always keep your other notes, you always, you know, all the engineering notes, all the architecture notes, you know, I, mean, I have thousands of notebooks. Yeah. How big is the student body? How many people are you putting through the machine every year? It was increasing from like, you know, 15 to 25 to 40 to 45. And now my classes are all at like, I'd say 45 per, you know, class. It's nice. That was a big class. It, it's a lot. And uh, truthfully, uh, like, I want to teach more and like more of a bigger lecture hall. They keep on giving me bigger rooms, but sometimes it's hard to really have that intimate, you yep. know, like thought process when they're all just out there. And it's just, you know, and it's great, but I don't want to slim down the material. You know what I mean? Because I mean, I want to and, and that's why it, maybe it's like it's going to be an intro, with an advance. And then maybe the next semester it'll be, you know, part three and part four it's just so hard to try to get it all in there because, you know, commissioning is, is not just go flip a switch. It's, it's everything. And you have to learn so much. And yeah, it's interesting. There's
3: a, you know, that class size grind. There's, a, there's some point where it crosses a line between class and like showbiz. Do you know what I mean? At some point you've got enough people in front of you. You feel like a juggling monkey, not a teacher. You know?
1: Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, and all the, all the students, they want to learn. Remember, you know, they tick those 400-person lecture halls. And, I mean, I mean, who knows if you fell asleep? You know what I mean? But at the same time... <laughs> you sit in the back like... <laughs> exactly. But it's yeah. just like I said, they're always trying to find a right balance. And I, yeah. I, I wish... All I care about is is every student actually has a full impact of what we're trying to do and embrace it. That's all.
3: Okay, that's awesome, and We'll put something in the show notes about, you know, so people can find information yeah. on it. But I do want to also talk about... So on top of being like a superhero at night, fighting crime, you know, <laughs> running standards commissioning department, teaching, you also found time to write an article with some colleagues Oh yeah, in the Consulting Specified Engineer, the CSE magazine, October yeah. 2021 issue. And the article was titled, Deliver Smart Buildings Using CSI Division 25 Commissioning. So for our international audience, before we get into this, can you explain CSI Division 25, what it is?
1: Yeah. Integrated automation, you know, whenever all the different specs, like, you know, 22, 23, 26, mechanical, plumbing, electrical type of things, you know, they always talk about the individual pieces. There's 25 has been around for a few years. Okay. And the thing is, it's getting more and more popular because now you're starting to really connect all the pieces. In all honesty, it's, it's a spec. Okay. And basically it just defines out what you do when it comes to controls and how the different pieces are layered. And you have a lot of different companies out there that have been trying this for years to, hey, how can I put HVAC and lighting together? How can I do this and this? Because before we used to just have, you know, it was HVAC, it was lighting, it was this, it was this. We had different pieces. And now we're starting to try to figure out how they all connect. Integrated automation, right? So you're integrating all these pieces. So with that right there, integrated automation, let's look at smart building, which is integrated automation. Whenever you're like, clap on, you know what I mean? Clap off, right? So you want this, you want the lights to perform with this, but you want the walls to perform with that. You want basically like an occupancy counter. You want it to work with the daylight and harvesting. You want, because remember, what is the point of a smart building? This point of a smart building is that it reacts and it thinks based on algorithms. It's not AI yet, right? You know, artificial intelligence, but it's going to react based on, okay, this many people came in, this came in, we're going to shift the loads, we're going to do this. It's basically taking all the existing systems we have and basically putting them into a brain and they and like a fdd fault diagnostic detection you know what i mean so it's like basically it's like you're going to preventative maintenance and so it's it's like you're you, like analytics like let's say sky spark you know i love that name sky spark it's like there's sparks That's before good. fire <laughs> sparks before fire right so basically you're always trying to figure out how these are working with this how this side how diversity is how north is working with this how you walk into this how this and eventually The skin and the system, the mechanical system, one day, they already do in some amazing buildings, one day it's going to work together. And it's going to basically be able to say, Mm -hmm. oh, we know that you're not comfortable because you're having a draft. We're going to correct that before you have to go, I'm cold. The building's going to work together. That's what it really is. It's basically about, it's a spec that defines, one, what people do at certain stages, you know, what subcontractors, controls contractors, what the different pieces. It's almost like a performance specs in a lot of ways, right? So you're defining what happens with what, when it goes here, how it does here, who does what. It makes it better for owners. It does take a little while to develop, right? But at the same time, as yeah. long as you make it broad, because what is a spec? A spec is basically like a written scope of work, but it gives a parameter. It gives a range. That's all it is. It, there's no means and methods. You never tell someone exactly what to do. You're giving them basically a range of things of how to do it, how it should perform. And basically, yeah. you know, what is the tolerances? It's like basically putting in a tile, and someone's like, that's got an inch gap, that's got a quarter gap. You're like, yeah, well, it should be a quarter spot, gap. Right? But
3: I've always found historically, particularly in North America, there's a reluctance for design engineers to write control specs.
1: You know, honestly, it's just like, not going to say what's right or what's wrong, what they should do, but I mean, I don't like the question, I'm sorry. It is, but <laughs> if, like, at the same time, <laughs> if it's an engineer, sequence of operations, in the past, it was always yeah. basically a controlled matrix, DI, digital in, digital out, AI, analog in, you know, one is basically a range and one is on and off and all the pieces of equipment, just like BACnet, you know, standard 135, it basically labels it out. So it's BACnet over Modbus, Ethernet, TCP, IP, MSTP, right? Basically what it is is you have all these different network architectures and all these different, you know, areas and supervisories and pieces. And it's just like, how do they really work with each other? And, and how, in all honesty, you're trying to pretty much get less operator, you know, each day to fix it, fix it, fix it. You're basically trying. That's what control systems are. Remember, like in the past, it was one lever arm, yeah. and then it basically turned into like you know five lever arms that controlled four, and then it was basically one that controlled fifty. But controls are nothing but little fingers that are automated that controls things. That when this happens, I, like that. I mean, that's what people like understand. It's just little question. fingers, little lever arms. You know, before they used to say, "Oh, it's hot, it's cold, it's hot, it's cold." Now right. you're like, now you have, you know, remember you have P. Proportional. Then you have integrated. Then you have you know derivative. And now we have a PI or PID, you know, or a PI PI. So the loops, you know, how they learn. Fuzzy logic. Don't forget fuzzy logic. Fuzzy logic. I mean, there's so many. This is the world of Internet of Things IoT. It's here. Sorry if you don't know. It is literally you can live and order everything off Amazon. Okay, IoT is here to stay. Everything here is AI is growing, and you know commissioning will always exist. Because there's always human error. It's not the control's fault. It's the programmer's fault, right? It it doesn't go, oh, I did that. No, it still has human error. So as long as the world is being built by humans and we err, to err is human, right? We make mistakes, but controls are about programming. And basically, integrated automation and Division 25 is a wonderful spec to have. And to really bring out what you need to do, because it could be so vast. It could be so, it could be 70 pages, it could be five pages, it could be three pages. I mean, whatever you need right. to do for your client. And that's what matters is what are their expectations and needs. And don't try to force something down someone's throat, what yeah. they need at that moment and how they can grow with it. And it is a living document.
3: The reason I liked your article was I always talk about a building as a system of systems, right? It's a facade system. It says, It's AI, it's CCTV, and commissioning, to some degree, is interface management. The soft and hard interfaces between these systems, Mm. that's how I describe it when I talk to groups about it. And that's what I liked about what you're writing about here, Division 25, a lot of people don't even know what that is, but the way I'm reading it here, bear in mind I'm a bit more international, I'm not sort of deep in the US market, but I know enough to be dangerous in the US market, but... You know, right really I understand division twenty-five, the systems live in there, right? And the interfaces yep. live in there. And then what you're talking about is interface management and IST, integrated systems testing, right? Yep. And that's exactly. what I, I liked about it. And there's a there's an algorithmic a- aspect to that now. But what were your sort of insights
1: with this then? What was your sort of two or three key takeaways when you wrote this out? Well, one of the parts in here. When I look at it, I wrote with Tim Howe and Jerry Pickett. One's a mechanical engineer, one's an electrical engineer. Both leaders in the commissioning group here, and we always go through it. And one of the areas that you know is always dear to me, and, and with ASU. And believe it or not, John Belial, he's the EIS manager of their Energy Information Systems. And one day a couple of years ago, we were working on a, a project, and we, you know we start to identify problems that have happened, right? And I've been so fortunate to work on a campus. I mean, that's just like the laboratory. It's, it's yeah. the biggest resource laboratory yeah. in the world for me, right? And I love it. And one day we we're sitting around and, and we start talking about like, you know, point to point, you know, BAS to equipment. But there's another big one here, BAS to equipment. And then basically the back, the energy, the gathering, the trending, the gathering of information, which is one of the most yeah. important points for any building or basically university is basically research is platinum, right? Not gold, platinum. OK, yeah. and so that's why we call it the point to point to point. And it's an area with commissioning. Sometimes it gets overlooked because you're always like, oh, the BAS, I push the button and it works and I read it. Oh, I got the signal. Boom, right? What about when there's a large campus? What about there's a healthcare system? What about when you have like 50 buildings or an ASU, a thousand buildings? What about when it's all connected? So a lot of times the building gets turned over because it works. Then someone's like, well, wait a minute. I'm not picking up the reading. Wait, I'm not picking up the sensors. Wait, the flow meter is not right. But you commissioned it. But at the same time, you, the, the signal works right there, mm-hmm. right? But a lot of times, what is happening with the ADX? What is happening with the SQL? What is happening with the energy management system, the retrieval system? And is the, is the information coming in in a readable pattern? And then that's what happens when sometimes building gets turned over and then sensors don't work later or this, 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 this. And then you have problems and then everybody blames it on somebody instead of basically just going <laughs> really thorough and say, hey, are you picking up all this information? Is it readable? So that's what we do over here now. We really focus on, it doesn't matter if it's SCADA, it doesn't matter if it's EIS system, MAC addresses, IP addresses. I mean, basically it's all about the data because that's why we trend. We trend. Smart buildings exist because of trending because they pick up and they correct themselves. You know, and they go, oh, and it's a correct PID loop. It corrects itself. I think you need to add into your menu of courses
3: at you one on data science and one on writing
1: algorithms because that is the future of commissioning. Those skills need to be in your toolkit later on. Well, you know, they call it, you know, traditional commissioning, then basically, you know, analytical or smart yeah. building to whatever, but you still have to have statistical, you still have to sample it, you still got to go out yeah. and test it. But you can never get away from that. Whenever, you know, I'll never forget this. I had a contractor, he said to me one time, Great guy, I'm not gonna say where from, and he just goes, he goes, So, how do you feel about working yourself out of a job? I go, Whew. That's a great question. I go, so last time I looked, I go, people build buildings. I go, not machines. I go, so I go, the more that I can actually get up on basically FDDs, on algorithms, on smart buildings, I go, the more I'm going to stay employed. I go, because you keep on buildings that don't work. I go, so until we live in the future and basically, you know, we are in a machine world, which we might be going to in a hundred years, but there are still, you know, ghosts in the machine and basically... Humans have to find them and you find them because you know where to look. And that's what a qualified, certified commissioning professional can do is they can really help you find where problems might occur, might exist. And all we do is basically help with solutions and recommendations to stop and mitigate risk early to co- save money later. And it's just like, its I mean, think about it. But building costs $100 million and I might put a $100,000 fee. What is that? nothing. That will pay back in less than six months or in a week. It is the best profession in the world to be in. And it's only going to increase. And in all honesty, it's awesome. And more people should get into it. (laughs) Specifically at ASU. Exactly. Come take the courses. One day, one (laughs) day, the goal is to have a major. That's always been my hope. And so hopefully next year, if I start my PhD, And then I'll be done in a few years. So that's my goal is to do a PhD. Right. So what's your
3: PhD? Have you got a
1: working title? You got? Oh yeah. Well, I wrote a thesis basically about real time, you know, monitoring of buildings. But what it's really going to be doing is basically the synergy between envelope and mechanical system. It's really about smart buildings. It's basically about how a smart building, you know, the skin and the MEP systems work together completely. So it understands, like, just like a skin, it breathes, it works. So that's something that more engineers and architects need to understand about how the details and how the vapor and how the relative humidity and basically, you know, obviously Ah. thermal, air, water, and vapor. Water is the killer of all buildings. So understand how heat, sound, great. It looks good. Appearances are awesome. But it's the physics and the science of a building that we really need to basically bring that together. And engineers and architects really, really need to talk about that.
3: you are talking Robert's language there. I can tell you that. (laughs)
2: Yeah, <laughs> so the whole integrated design process, and but our ethos was to start with people, and so we people. would teach architects and engineers, masters and PhD students about human physiology and psychology. It all starts with that because ultimately you can build and design to every green standard you want. Pick one well, lead, yeah. active yeah. house, passive house. Living Building Challenge. The list goes on and on. We had Jerry add I, I keep forgetting the numbers. How many programs did he there say this?
3: This was a few years ago when Jerry was on. There are over 600 building, rebuilding certification programs in the world. Yeah. That's like 599 too many. Right. And so ultimately,
2: <laughs> nobody cares. Like the people inside the building don't care because all they care about is that they have six sensory systems. They can sense what they hear, smell, taste, feel, feel thermally, feel a vibration, odors. That's their sensory system. That's how they measure the success of an architectural engineering team. Yep. They don't care exactly. about the standards, uh, right? And even energy, and, I, and I'm a little hard on the energy folks because people don't come with energy meters, right? They right. come with environmental <laughs> sensors. So when we, when we teach architects and engineers and interior designers, I don't underestimate the power of an interior designer about human <laughs> physiology and psychology, that we get way better buildings because they understand the client.
1: When you actually can see, when you can feel, when you can smell, when you can hear. I mean, when you're in a place that you love to be in, I mean, you want to go there. I mean, yeah, you want to totally. be there. You, you, you work harder. You work better. Yeah, you know I mean? it mean, just goes, right? That's why we go. That's why we find our places. I mean, that's why, you know, we have vacations because we love the place, you know? Yeah. So imagine if like we actually started really, really loving our buildings. And yeah, yeah. what energy would take care of itself if we treated those commercial buildings like we treat our house. We shut the light off. You know, automation is great, but oh, it's going to shut it off. You know what I mean? I uh, mean, still yeah. at this day, an old school switch, just like an old school engine, you can still work on it, you can still turn it down. But when an automated switch goes off, if that thousand dollar switch, what do I do? I, <laughs> you know, you still got to have old school and uh, new school, you know? And this is just like, okay. So if my phone went out, my internet went out, what would I do? I mean, literally, I still think that we still have to have both. It's just like basically having an electrical grid that you could have a blackout. But wait, you can have a Tesla with basically a generator that you're pulling with it just in case it goes out. You still have to have backup. You always have to have redundancy, redundancy, redundancy. And people, if they rely on the grid or they rely on internet, we're going down a bad path. I mean, welcome to Skynet and Terminator. You, you know what I mean? yeah.
3: something yeah. that yeah. I ask about all the time that no one has a good answer for. If we're gonna electrify all cars and buildings, what happens when the power grid goes down? Mm, yes.
1: uh, you don't drive, you walk, you take yeah. your bike.
3: But it gets worse than that. You don't get water treatment, you don't travel Nothing. the It's yeah. a total societal breakdown over You still need a now.
1: generator with gas, basically, or oil. You have to, I'm sorry. You know what I mean? And and I always basically, you know, with GHG, ODP, GWP, trust me, I'm a sustainability person through and through. I save energy and carbon. That's my job. I find it and save it. But what do you do when you have to have that heating and cooling and you have to have electricals, you have to have a UPS, you have to have a backup system. I wish there was a way that we could totally rely on electrification, but yeah, there's We're a philosophy.
2: There. It's called design for failure, right? And we, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I learned that a long time because I live in a climate zone, uh, as Adam does, but our, our climate zone here in the West, like it gets to minus 40, minus 50. You cannot have a failure because failures turn into huge disasters and with consequences, people can die, right? So, yes. you know, I was taught earlier on that when you're in a extreme climate zone, as we are, that you have to design for failure and when i think go back over my career i'm not practicing anymore but when i don't think about the career we would do forensics and come across mechanical and electrical systems where you look at this system and you go you guys are aft if this system shuts down you're screwed like there is no other way of doing it right there's yeah. no way to bypass power there's no way to bypass flow there's no redundancy in fuel systems it's done and yeah and so Teaching our students about designing for failure is, is a huge thing, but you can't do that until you understand yeah. energy, energy conversion and how you convert or move that energy through a building and understand redundancies and bypasses and all that type of stuff. But that, that needs to be in the schools for sure.
1: In my class the other night, we went over a series and parallel circuitry. I mean, I, I'm not teaching them engineering. I'm teaching them basics. So, you know, what does series need? What is resistant? What is a load? What does parallel mean? Basically, you know, and then what is a short circuit, you know, type, just basic stuff. I mean, yeah. literally, what happened to the shop courses we used to have? What happened to Home Ec? What happened to basically, I mean, how many people even know how to sew? How many people <laughs> even know how to bike yeah. to take something apart or change sticks. your tire? <laughs> or remember the dial phone? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, you, 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 <laughs> I can you have to teach the past in order, basically, to make the future better. Yeah. And we still need old school technique. I think uh,
3: Jocko Willick says as well. Two is one and one is none. You need backup and resilience, right?
1: Otherwise, you are going to get in trouble. You just got to always think yeah. at the end in mind, always think, like you said, yeah. you know, to failure. Like you have, I mean, we're, we're. I'm part of a lot of buildings with resiliency and redundancy. And it's just like, I always say, so when it fails, what happens? Where's the backup? Where's the default? What does you it know? go to? What do we do? Where? Oh, yeah. and
3: what's mission critical? That's the other question I ask. Right. In this yeah. building, what is
1: mission critical? Who gets fired when what goes down? I want to know. Exactly. Yeah. Right. exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Well that's why everybody that's looks a, at mission critical is like data centers. Yeah. But you know what? It's so much money, it's for profit, right? So it's just yeah. like, you know, and 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 but you nothing, no stone goes unturned. You take, but remember that everybody has that kind of cash. No, but my know?
3: my favorite example is a hospital.
1: It's mission critical, and there's huge consequences if you yep. screw that up right? huge, right? Can't go down, can't even throw um, a blip. Yeah. Not, not even, even for a second. It. That UPS, nothing can go down. What do you have on ePower? What do you do? You yeah. have to treat it like what if your mom or your grandma is there. Every day, every second of the day, treat it like your family is there. That's what I do whenever I go through a VAB or an OR or basically a cath lab or whatever system or basically oncology. I mean, whatever we're doing, that has to work no matter what. And that's the mentality you have to have. And that's when owners hire people, hire people that, you know, that they're, they're going, to, I'm going to make it work. You know what I mean? There's, you have no choice. It has to yeah. work from day one. Yeah.
2: And this is where integrated design becomes really important, right? Because we, I mean, that's one of the things that we worked for for decades with clients in terms of, listen, when you're in these kind of, for us again, going back to extreme climate zones, part of your redundancy or your design for failure is actually in the enclosure. Yep. If you've got a weak enclosure and you have a power shutdown, well, whatever's on the outside is going to be on the inside really quick, right? But if you can build a capacitance into the mass of that building, well, then all of a sudden, it's not so much a problem anymore. Right. So you get into hospitals, for example, if, you know, if you have failures, well, your power backup power system is there for critical stuff, but you have a little bit more confidence in being able to divert power. If the building has the capacity to coast
1: without the need for power, right. For some period of time. So well, why do we buy just, expensive, why do we buy expensive, like $30 thermals? Because you literally can put cold water in there, come back. Close it up. And like in the desert, I can leave it at a hundred degree car and come back eight hours later. And I still have basically chilled water, cool water, spend money on the envelope, spend money on the insulation. You know, basically, you know, in Arizona, like just let you know, like 110 degree, 115 degree day. If you have a completely, perfectly insulated roof, walls, windows, you come home, right. Open a window, maybe something like that. You might have 85, 86 degrees. It's not going to be 115 because that's, it's ambient out there. You're in the shade. You got wind pushing through, you're in a shaded area, it yeah. is resisting yeah. the heat gain. I mean, just shade. Cover, You know what? If every building in America had a shade covering, you could yeah. reduce the load by half.
3: Totally, totally. Yep. Yes. Thank yeah. you. I'm a big yeah. fan of passive elements. Listen, we're coming up on time. I could do this forever with you, actually. Yeah, awesome. yeah, we could keep talking yeah, for hours. <laughs> We always ask uh, one quick question each at the end, so it's like a rapid fire. So my question to you is, what's the best degree and easiest way to become a commissioning engineer if by some miracle I'm a young kid who's 18 and thinks, you know what, I've hit my head today. I'm feeling a bit dizzy. I want to be a commissioning guy.
1: <laughs> okay, I'm just going to be honest. Like, You know what I mean? There's, the, there's a great path to go through academics, but there's also a great path to go through trades. Right. So control technician, boiler technician, HVAC technician, folks that you know what? A lot of engineers, they can basically design a system like it's amazing, but give them a torch, give them a gauge. They wouldn't be able to know how to fix your own HVAC. So that's one area. Right. But at the same time, listen, academics has a very good place for it. You know, engineers, architects, sustainability people, you know, construction folks, you don't have to have one thing. You can basically have a passion for it and learn it. You know, I, I can teach anybody technical. I can't teach passion and yeah. desire. Okay. So I, I know I didn't answer that completely perfect, but at the same time, come there with passion, come there with the willingness to learn. And then basically also understand how to have good human skills because yeah. communication is probably 80% of what I do. My question to you, Marcus, and it actually
2: leads up to what you just said, So let's just say you're in front of a graduating class and the title of your presentation is find your first tool belt and hang on to it. What are you going to talk to them about? That's the title of your presentation. Okay. Ready?
1: Yeah. Hi, how you doing? Communication. (laughs) You know what I do in my class? I make them all stand up. What's your name? Where are you from? You know, what's your degree? You know, why do you take this class? You know, what do you want to learn from it? And by the way, in my class, and my students will attest, whenever I ask them a question, like, I have to speak up. You're not talking to me. Talk to them. I have them turn around and talk to each other. I have them get to know each other because that is the best networking they'll ever have. Communication, networking, talking to each other, learning how to help each other. That is the most important part. You can teach anybody (laughs) technical because you have Apollo 13 in your hand, right? Or computing power, right? But you can't, you got to teach people on how to actually not be scared to fail. And be confident and talk to someone. It's communication yeah. is what is like lack- This right here, this phone, this whole like, you know, like social media, like, you know, it, like, it, <laughs> <but> <laughs> break it, right? But throw it out. You know what I mean? It's just I'm like, I talk to someone. To someone <laughs> at the yeah, I mean, I didn't break it. Oh, well, right? You know, but the thing is, talk to someone. Like, yeah. put your phone down, like at the airport, at a coffee shop. Don't be like weird, but go, How's it going? You know what I tell the students? Yeah. Walk by everybody. Hi, how's it going? How you doing? Practice. Yeah, be yeah. the first to say hello and
3: smile. That's just, exactly, that's exactly, exactly.
1: I don't have the best smile in the world. I you know I don't have the best teeth, so I smirk a lot. But I'm like, hi, how's it going? I got a big nose. You know what I mean? And it's just like, <laughs> but I'm always just like, how you doing? It's hard to be someone. It's hard to be mean to someone when they're nice. God, yeah. It really is.
2: So you make God. a good point, and that is, is that the physical appearance of somebody. Is not the same as the, as the experience that you get from that person. Correct. You know what I mean? And then you think about like, I mean, the, I mean, some of the most inspiring people that I've met in my life are people who have had the most difficult challenges in their life. People who are quadriplegics, people that have MS. Stephen Hawkins.
1: Hello. Yeah. Right. One of my heroes. I mean, all the matter of what you look like, you know what? It it, it might as well just, you know what? It should be like, you know, dating with basically with no, no, you don't see someone. Yeah. I mean, like that's what you should do. should, you should. Talk to someone, you should communicate with someone. It has nothing to do with a physical appearance, but I mean it doesn't take hard. I mean to just hi no nope. how are you or even type it <laughs> even if even if in your emails good morning how are you you ever notice like people just get rid of the the pleasantries like no. I always put a smiley face in every one of my emails every time I was I talking it, about like,
2: that earlier.
1: So, Did you say earlier, Adam,
2: everybody likes a smiley face. Right? So I, was, I
3: was messaging Marcus. I thought he'd missed the link to join the call. And I said, I've sent you a message. I put a smiley face at the end so he knows I'm not angry. Yeah.
1: Because <laughs> yeah. you know what? Seriously, like, you know, you know, a like, loss in translation is the worst thing in the world. Basically, yeah, someone right? takes the message the wrong way. Yeah. And then you're like, I don't like them. <laughs> what? Well, look what they read.
3: You yeah, know, we were, everybody
1: uh, has a bad day. You know what I mean. But it's just like, oh uh, yeah, no, I couldn't
3: agree more, man. <laughs> Mr. Marcus, thank you for coming on. It's been a blast, yeah, and we'll yeah, it. totally. <laughs> and at some point, when travel opens up a bit more, I might come down to do a guest lecture in your class.
1: Oh my god, are you kidding me? That would be know, amazing. I will get guys. everybody Great. at ASU. I will put it on FactMan, OUA, CPMG. I mean, like, come on. If the building yeah, no, whisperer come down this year what, you what, what year is it now what year are
3: we in 21 right has 22 <laughs> 23 latest I'll be down I'll do it I've just got to find a way to work it out I'm just taking on a new role it's going to take me away for a bit so yeah I'll work it I'll, I'll contact you later we we'll get something dark, i come down and confusion with my British accent yeah it's <laughs> awesome
1: <laughs> anyway, it's well, thanks, thanks, thanks for coming we always on. make my day better I really appreciate it
0: and, thank uh, you it's great having you on the edifice complex will continue in just a moment
2: Adam, it's time to thank some people who are on our side, Blue Rhythm Commissioning Software.
3: Blue Rhythm is the commissioning software I've been looking for. Most projects I consult on suffer from poor information and document management. Frankly, it's just chaos out there. Blue Rhythm removes this chaos. It is a secure, always available cloud solution designed to work on any computer, tablet, or smartphone. Their Android and iOS apps allow seamless transition between online and offline work. But what I like most about Blue Rhythm is that painless and fast onboarding process. That team will bring all your existing forms and checklists into Blue Rhythm for you, or you can use or adapt their pre-built, pre-functional, and functional performance test sheet templates. But it's more than that. It enables collaboration, automation, and easy planning and project management for all your projects. Blue Rhythm provides amazing support from a team that really understands your industry. To find out more, Go to bluerhythm.com or call country code plus plus one six one two four six zero eight three zero five. Also, you can hear from Blue Rhythm President Andy Martin on episode 26 of the Edifice Complex podcast. Robert, Robert, are we there yet? I'm bored.
2: <laughs> well, it's hard to believe, but the future is finally arrived in Canada. How's that then? Wow, smart remote building and equipment management is now available from
3: Sensor Suite. Go on.
2: Sensor Suite. Yep, they're an innovator in smart building technology. We like them. They can monitor, control, and optimize anything in your building, saving you time and energy.
3: You mean Sensor Suite are moving Canadian buildings into the twenty-first century? Yeah, I know another hard thing
2: to believe, but they're doing it, and they're saving owners money with efficiency gains.
3: Okay, I'm in. How
2: do I find out more? Got to go to com or call 1-855-773-6767. And also check out the July 2020 episode of the NFS Complex podcast and listen to census Suite CEO, Glenn Spry.
0: And now, back to the show. Adam, <laughs> that was a on-fire
2: interview. It was great <laughs> to have Marcus on. I mean, I how could you not get motivated by all that passion? I mean, he just sparks you up.
3: He's the teacher it, you wanted
2: in college but never had, right? Totally. Yeah. If you want to extract the shyness out of your he
3: still might like be good. Like, oh <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Marcus brings
2: it. We like, talk <laughs> about it, right? <laughs> That's right. I used to be, I used to be a meek and mild person <laughs> until I had Marcus as a professor, <laughs>
3: and now I'm off the wall. <laughs> the world's I mean, following me. Yeah. If you can take it, to be fair, some people can't, but if you can take it, he's the sort of guy you want to be mentored by when you first start, who just like straightens you out and calls you out when you're being an idiot and like shows you the right from wrong for what you're trying to do, you know. You need yeah. that. And it's, it's like the first drill sergeant, you know. Someone told me, an ex Marine told me, yeah, when I joined the Marines, it was a horrible, Book camp was terrible. but I look back on that time as fundamental. You know, it was fundamental to build Bill me. And yeah. yes, I didn't like the drill sergeant, but I admire the shit out of that guy. You know? yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally. And that's
3: really what we're talking about here. But also, you know, he's, I really wanted to get Marcus on. I mean, I've known him for a while now through LinkedIn, but he's an important person. And this is why. Yes, he's a director of StanTech, and that's all good. And, you know, he's a king of commissioning in StanTech. That's great. But he's a teacher. Mm-hmm. and he has long-term influence. So there's a difference between short-term and long-term influence, right? He's got thousands of followers on LinkedIn, but that's short-term influence. Social media is a short-term phenomenon, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you, the thoughts go in a day. A teacher has long-term influence. I remember sure. my good teachers, and I'm nearly 60, and I remember them clear as day, right? I had a history teacher who sparked interest in history for me. And I've had that interest ever since because she was an awesome teacher, right? No to of engineering, I just love her in history because it explains everything. It screams all the stupidity you're dealing with today. is in <laughs> history and economics, by <laughs> the way. But, you know, so Marcus is important because he's a teacher. He somehow, through force of personality, convinced a, a, a proper university to run a commissioning course. Not one, two, and I'm sure he's going to grow that sucker. There's no doubt about that, right? Oh, no doubt about it, yeah. And he's got classes, and his classes are full, and he has long-term influence. He's going to influence people in them classes. Let's say he reaches 20 people a year, and those 20 people go out and reach another 20. You know, the the network effect, the ripple effect from that in terms of influence and practice is enormous. Society really- That's how legends are built. Teachers, right? That's anyway, true. that's my take, because I have this Confucian respect for teachers. I love he, them, right? But they don't get paid enough or respected enough.
2: No, they don't get paid enough. They're, you know, when yeah. you think about the important people in society, those that are in the education world and those that are in the health systems, no doubt about it. I mean, when people come back to this podcast and listen in a few years, we're in the middle of COVID, we're a year or two. And here in Alberta, our provincial government was trying to, Reduce salaries for nurses during a time when we need them the most. It's just... Let me get that thought and
3: put it in my eye.
2: You know, I mean, the <laughs> disconnect between what society needs and how we keep these people around. I mean, it's hard enough for them to keep them alive um, because of the virus, but never to talk about trying to kill them, kill their souls. I mean, it's just... Anyways, totally uh, with uh, you know, the, te- the the power of teachers. and And I mean, we could have done several hours, hours with him i mean there were some things that i i loved it when he talked about his first tool pouch and you know because it reminded me of when i was a little boy and my first tonka toy i don't even know if do you tonka remember, I remember them. Tonka tonka. yeah yeah totally right i mean those stuck with me my entire life and um you know they they leave a legacy and that's one of the things and he went right into that from whistling while you work his mom's advice for our listeners, if you're one of the blessed, you will recognize early on in your life what drives your passion. And when you find yourself whistling while you're working at what and work could be play too, yeah. right? It doesn't that? You could be a seven year old or an eight year old, and if you're singing and laughing and whistling while you're doing that, and if that follows you through into high school and then ultimately into college and university and then out into the real world, if you are lucky to find that consider that a gift that very few people have you know and if you can find that whistle while yeah. you're working the one that, that makes you passionate and just brings joy to your life hold on to it and feed it and nurture it and it will reward you you know one way or another and it may not it may not be something that gives you the big bucks and if it's a if it's something that you like to whistle while you work well maybe you find a job that pays the money, so that so that you can afford to whistle while you do whatever it is your passion is. But you know, recognize that, right?
3: Yeah. Well, that's it. see, he again as a teacher is providing a two for it's a two for one, right? You're yeah. getting technical education, but you're also getting mentoring and life advice for one of a better word. You know, right? you know, he's talking yeah. about the importance of communication of being able to sell your ideas and your concepts and your work, right? These are things that. Universities <laughs> universally suck at. <laughs> right. They're terrible yeah. at that stuff. Yeah, They're great at fundamentals. They are terrible at preparing you for the workforce. It is a joke. Yeah, it is. So because they restrict supply, right?
2: Well, yeah, they've got a curriculum that's based on a textbook. Chances are somebody that's teaching it wrote the book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What Marcus does is he adds that, Fourth dimension. I mean, yeah. and that is, is that you know, it's the goodwill of your heart. It's the soul, the passion that people yeah. ultimately start listening to what you have to say. You can write all the academic shit you like. I know I've done it. I've written as you have. We've written all kinds of papers and courses. You know, like people read it. You know, they will read the book and whatever. Yeah. But unless there's a fire and a passion that they can follow, it's it's just it's waste. No, I wouldn't say wasted, but it just doesn't have the same thing. And again, he said the thing, hands on, get your hands dirty. Like again, that, again, for those that are listening, you know, parents or or students or kids, whatever that, you know, you come to our show and you listen to this advice over and over again, get the practical experience, get your hands dirty. You know, your brain can deal with a lot of technical stuff and concepts and that kind of stuff. But until you put your knowledge and apply it, you're missing one of the dimensions. So use your hands, get, get dirty. He recognized learning styles. Not everybody does that.
3: No, that's a good teacher, right? Who can see <laughs> absolutely you in the eye and see you're not getting it, and like reframe it, right? That is gold. Totally. Yeah.
2: yeah, yeah. He was he was good that way. Yeah. Baptized by fire. We've talked about that before. Oh, yeah. You know, like, you but Adam, you've you know, you get onto the job sites, and you've got a client that's you know multi million dollars invested into a building and it's not working and they're breathing down your neck and they got to open it up. You know? like,
3: it's Until like, you've had a 250 pound pipe fitter telling tell you you're an idiot, advantage with your face you've
2: not made it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the same. I know. I know. I don't know if I've shared the story when I was, I was working for a geotechnical engineering company and I was like this pimply face, skinny little shit that was, and I had to go onto a job site and I had to, um, tell the the concrete pour to stop because there was this guy that was watering down the concrete mix. I I was told, you know, by the by the lab guys, if you get to the job site and they're watering down the mix, stop the pour. <laughs> I'm looking around, everybody's got a weapon. <laughs> everybody's got a rake or a shovel or something and, I'm, and it's scary as hell. But you know what? You're with the engineering company. They got to listen to you otherwise you're done, right? Uh, so yeah, it was it was amazing. I wanted to ask him if he knew Thomas from Trans Solar because when he started talking about some of his stuff, I thought you gotta know this guy. So I don't know if he doesn't he know probably
3: it. does. He's very well connected. As a final thought though, I what I also sort of as we've sort of stopped speaking to him and the energy level's gone down a bit, I also think he is a great example of leadership. Mm. You know, because he take, he's taking a leadership position. Right. I've just finished reading a book about Ernest Shackleton, you know, his doomed or semi-doomed expedition to the Arctic. Yeah. So this is an Edwardian guy, sort of like early 20th century guy, he gets this sailing ship together, gets this group of people, goes down there and just gets in all sorts of trouble. And they somehow by miracle survive. They're literally sucking water out of ropes. It's that dire, right? And it's Arctic conditions and you know, they haven't got them. They haven't got their, you know, um, you know, their goose feather stuff, <laughs> and they get back. And the success, the ability for them to survive and get back is basically down to his leadership. He transmitted to them all the time that they were going to make it and get through. You know when you walk a dog and people say, well, if you're upset, you transmit that to the dog. Yeah, if you're yeah, leading yeah. a group of people and you're not confident, you transmit that to them, it's a rat, right? Yeah. And, you know, he is a great example of leadership and he's he's transmitting, a, we're going to get this done by, I'm going to get you through this fight, right? Might be a bit painful, but we're going to do it, you know? <laughs> and that's leadership, right? So, you know, there's a rare combination there of like pilot engineering, fundamental engineering, teaching ability and leadership ability. That's quite a, a Venn diagram that's pretty unusual.
2: Yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely. He has all of the circles.
3: Yeah, he does. All the circles all converging into this ball
2: of energy. <laughs> well, and that's the thing with a lot of leaders is, you know, is yeah. that they, um, they have that Venn diagram of all the characteristics. They create a swath. Like, they've got a vision. They know where they're going to be going. They've got the strategies. They've got the tactics. They've got all the missions. they got to go on goals. And if you're part of that, it becomes a real experience. You'll never forget a good leader uh, for what they did for your soul. Right, and you will never forget the bad leader for how they were so destructive.
3: Yeah, and they suck the life out of you and the will to live, right? the bad leader. Anyway, he is awesome. If anyone's thinking of joining Stan Tate and joining his team and the commission team, I'd advise you to do it. I'd be very, I'd take his course and sit there and take notes for sure. And I hope to go down there one day and give a guest lecture. I'm going to see if I can get that going because that would be fun.
2: Yeah, and shout out to ASU, Arizona State University. You know, they have done a great, they contribute a lot and, you know, they, you know, I've been doing this now for, I don't know, like 40 some odd years and Arizona State University is one of the building blocks of our industry. You know, if you go back and you find out what they've contributed in terms of their academics, their practical information, the way that they've inspired other leaders in the industry, they're there and may, uh, may not get, you know, the, the same sort of FaceTime as say a Penn State University you know, but there is equally part of the, the existence of our industry as any other university. And as I said before, I think on this show, you know, Dr. David Shetsley, if it wasn't for him, you know, our website today would not be where it is.
3: Yeah, uh, and your uh, website so, is uh, a stealthy winner. You know, I was speaking to IQ Radio about it. You know, we we're trying to brainstorm ways to monetize it more. I mean, it's such a resource for people.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, it's outdated and needs a bunch of of updating. I don't know if that'll ever happen. I'll probably die before that ever goes on. But yeah, David was, he was instrumental as was the students that he had working on his website at the time. They were way ahead of anybody else. I mean, in terms of what they were communicating. And so, you know, shout out to those guys and Marcus is in good company for sure. Yeah,
3: This is the purpose of the podcast, right? To showcase people who are doing good work and making a difference. So
2: yeah. we nailed that today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kudos to you, Mr. Moggleton. I, I, again, I don't remember where we met, whether it was in San Antonio, Texas, or probably some other place else. Yeah, somewhere.
3: That's St. Louis, an Ashbury side conference, right? Is that what it was? Was yeah, it St. Yeah, Louis? Yeah. I thought it was pitched San Antonio. I pictured you the show. I remember that yeah. in the coffee
2: shop. <laughs> that's right. Yeah.
3: <laughs> anyway, it's are. been a good ride, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. See you See on the next man. time.
0: You've been listening to the Edifice Complex Podcast with Adam Muggleton and Robert Bean. To access show notes for this episode, visit edificecomplexpodcast.com. Also, if you would like Robert or Adam to speak, teach, or consult on your project or business, please email admin at edificecomplexpodcast.com. See you next time.